0: We are, we've been in Hebrews 11:32 for a while because every time a name pops up, we preach a message about that person, and we're in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, and moving our way through these judges here that are listed. Uh, Remember the book of Judges. We say a time where there was lawlessness in Israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes and that created a lot of problems and still today when we do what we think we should do how many times have we thought this is exactly the right thing to do only to do it and to realize man I should have prayed before I did that amen so god doesn't want us to come to him after we've chosen the wrong thing but to come to him first Not to do what's right in our own eyes, but to inquire of him, what's right in your eyes, God? Sometimes we have a hard time telling what the right thing is to do, but he's never confused. God is never going to say, hey, well, you know what? I'm not sure. Why don't you try this? Hebrews 11.32, it says here, and what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, or Samson, or Jephthah, or David, and Samuel, and the prophets. So we've looked at Gideon, that judge. We looked at Barak, who was kind of a co-judge to Deborah. We look now at Jephthah. We looked at Samson last week. Hopefully you were here for that. If not, get the you know get it online and get a listen to it. A lot of good principles in there for us. But we're going to look at Jephthah today. now Jephthah's. Ordeal can be found in Judges 11 and 12. What I want you to do is turn to Judges 11 and 12, and I'm going to call out verses. I'm not going to read you both chapters because we'll be here until Sunday service. And uh, we're going to look at Judges 11 and 12, and we're going to look at these judges that were instruments of God's deliverance to bring his people into right relationship with him. We're looking at Jephthah tonight, an interesting study and I'm going to just thank God for the word. Father, I thank you for Hebrews 11. I thank you for the Hall of Fame of Faith. I thank you for judges. As we look at chapters 11 and 12, they chronicle the exploits of your judge, Jephthah. Father, I pray that you would bring these principles alive to us tonight, that we would understand what it is that we are to glean from these situations and apply to our lives so that we, too, can be those who are worthy to be in the hall of fame of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's just jump right in here. Here's some basic facts about Jephthah. It's kind of a funny name to pronounce, but Jephthah is the way we're going to go with it here. Jephthah was a mighty man, a distinguished warrior. If you go to Judges 11 uh, and you look in verse 1, you're going to get a real good synopsis of who he is. We're going to read through those verses and apply them, but Jephthah was a mighty man. When the Bible says that someone was a mighty man, it means they were a valiant warrior, someone who was a a seasoned combat veteran, someone who could lead God's people to victory on the battlefield. He was seasoned, he was deemed mighty in the eyes of God, and he was distinguished in the eyes of the Israelites, amen? If you're going to be a leader, you not only have to be anointed and, and set apart by God, that's sanctified, but People have to look at you and be able to see the anointing on you. If you think you're a leader and, you know, you're you're out there leading and there's nobody behind you, you're not leading, you're just taking a walk. John Maxwell. So leaders acquire followers. People follow leaders. Jephthah's a natural leader in the way of military prowess. God recognizes it. The people of Israel recognize it, and, and, and God gathers people to him. Now, Jephthah's father was Gilead, and, and Gilead, who we'll call Gil from this moment out, Gil slept with a prostitute, and Jephthah is the byproduct of that relationship. Now, this is not Jephthah's fault, but we're going to see the stigma of being an illegitimate son is going to follow him and is going to cause him trouble. How many understand there's things that can happen to us that are no fault of ours, even before we're born, that can follow us into life and create hardship for us. You're looking at me like I'm making this stuff up. You know, all of us, maybe, maybe we haven't experienced this, but we know the people who have, you know, and you think, well, it's not fair, pastor. And absolutely, it's not fair, but it still happens. And it happened to Jephthah. It wasn't his fault that his father, Gilead, slept with a prostitute and has him as the result. But yet he's born, and he's got some things to deal with here. Now, he grew up in the land of Gilead, but at some point he's driven away from his family, from his land, from his inheritance by his jealous half-brothers. You see, Gilead's wife eventually has children. Now, you know, Jephthah, who was there first, is now the odd man out. Why? Because he's not the son of his mother. He's the son of a prostitute. And understand, that's putting him at odds with his brother. So Jephthah the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot, verse 1 says. He grows up, and, and this is what it says. Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, listen, you shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Ouch. Talk about rejection. Talk about being disenfranchised. Wow, it's so quiet out there. Can We turn a fan on or something for some background noise? It. <laughs> you know, here he is just driven out. I mean, this is enough to give you battle scars. If this happened to you or I, we would still be dealing with it today. And it's a big thing here, but this is what this guy... Now, you would think, man, this guy's damaged from, from the jump. He's like broken. You know, he, he's got issues. He's got baggage. God, couldn't you pick somebody else? God likes to take broken things, mend them back together, and use them as instruments for his glory. Amen. And that's what he does here. So, you know, Jephthah's got a hard start here. He's, he's driven away. Uh, Judges 11.3 say that when he's driven away, he goes from Gilead. He leaves his family, his inheritance, everything he knows, and he's in the land of Tob or Tob. However you want to say that. Let's say Tob. I like that better. And then Jephthah fled from his brothers, it says in verse 3, and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jeppa, Jeppa, and went out raiding with him. So, how's about that? You're kicked out of your home, you lose your inheritance, your half brothers reject you, you go to a foreign land, and guess what? He's a leader. Remember, I told you he's a leader, and leaders attract followers, and he does attract followers. Tom, and guess who comes? You know, not the brightest and the smartest and the wealthy and the connected. All the losers worthless men. And what do they do? They go raiding with him. You know, that sounds really pretty in the Bible. Basically, that was stealing, killing, and pillaging. It was, it was almost you know what Vikings do. See, that's no way for you know, a child of the people of God to act, and absolutely it's not. But think about it. He's forced into this. If you're cut off from your house, you're cut off from all your resources, you're cut off from your inheritance, you have to do what you have to do to survive. And he does. But his anointing is still there. It's still there in, a, in seed form. And people gather to him. Now, they come to him and they go out raiding with him. That, that sounds pretty, but it's ugly. And, it's, and you know all that's associated with that is ungodly. Now, because of Jephthah's military prowess, These men are drawn to him, and they're shady characters, but they see him as a leader, and they follow him as a military chieftain, and they're out plundering and pillaging with him. Here's a conclusion from just some basics about Jephthah's start here. He had a raw deal in life, amen? Understand, some of us are going to have raw deals in life, maybe at the start, maybe at the end, maybe in the middle, I don't know, but there's times where things are going to be unfair, Now, I want to tell you something. It's easy when life is unfair to to just get a really bad attitude and then to to make it worse by, you know, just not doing what we can to make it the best it can be. Jephthah doesn't do that, and we shouldn't do that either. So whenever you experience things that are unfair, you know, not his fault he was the son of a prostitute, but yet uh, he's dealing with all of these issues. Now, there's a turning point in Jephthah's life here when the Ammonites who are oppressing God's people, decide to make war against Israel. Now, they drove Jephthah away. He's out in Tob. He's doing ungodly things surrounded by heathens, and war is now upon Israel. So the Ammonites, the perennial enemies of Israel, always Ammonites are trouble, and they are oppressing Israel. And they decide, well, you know what? We're going to make war against them because you know, we want to oppress them further and take what little they have. Now, This was trouble for Gilead because Gilead was the front that the Ammonites were going to attack. So what happened here is all of those self-righteous, religious, justified, smooth-talking politicians who drove Jephthah away, now they had the kind of trouble that required a warrior. Nobody likes the warrior until war is upon us. Oh, you know, violent, toxic masculinity, take away the guns, you know, sit in the corner and color and, and, you know, wear pink. The Japanese did the same thing to the samurai in history. The samurai protected the, the, the elite until they didn't need them anymore, and then they, they turned on them. Here's a warrior that they drove away, but all of a sudden now war is upon them, so they need him. And, you know, these guys were... <laughs> These guys were kind of slick and slippery, and they, they definitely mistreated Jephthah. And, you know, uh, the Greek physician Hippocrates, in his work, he said, extreme diseases call for extreme cure. And that phrase has morphed into desperate times call for desperate measures. How many have heard that? And so that's from Hippocrates. This was exactly one of those times, desperate times, Call for desperate measure. What's, what's the desperate measure you're talking about, Pastor Rick? These guys are going to have to tuck their tails, go to Taub, and try to get Jephthah to come and defend them because they can't defend themselves. And so they do that. Uh, in Judges 11.5, the elders of Gilead, all the smooth, connected, you know, highfalutin political types, they seek out Jephthah and they appeal to him to come and defend them. Now, in Judges 11, 6 through 7, here's how the plea of the elders goes. It says, they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander that we may, that we may fight the people of Ammon. Did you ever hear people who say we and we is really you? We're going to dig all day tomorrow. No, you're going to dig all day tomorrow. So he says, come and be our commander, trying to appeal to his pride a little bit, that we may fight against the people of Amnon. Here's Jephthah's response in verse 7. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? How many would agree that that's a good response? It's a right response, and I want to talk to you about that a little bit. They plead with him, and they use some flowery words, and they're smooth. How many know? uh, A lot of people are smooth talkers. Any anybody ever meet them? Smooth, slick, know how to tickle your ego. Oh, come and be our commander. (laughs) Come and do our dirty work. And so, they they appeal to him, and his response is you know, you hated me, you drove me away, you took away my inheritance, my father's house, and now you come to me when you're in trouble. I want to tell you something. We need to learn from Jephthah to not be afraid to tell the truth when dealing with manipulative people. Come on, Wednesday night, you're dead quiet out there. I said, we need to learn to tell the truth when we're dealing with manipulative people. The devil has no shortage of people who want to manipulate you and control you and tug your heartstrings and pull on your pride. And you know what? If you just let them mow you over, they'll mow you over. And it's not spiritual to just let yourself be mowed over by manipulative people. Because guess what? They're not godly. They're, They're demonic. Manipulation is like witchcraft. These guys were trying to get him to do their dirty work, still didn't care a thing about him but they thought if they buttered him up a little bit, he'd fall in line. Jephthah's not playing it. You know, and I see this as good character here. He's not afraid to tell the truth and call manipulative people on it when he sees them doing it to them. Listen, the truth is always best delivered in love. The truth is always best delivered in humility. Hey, when we gotta call somebody on something, realize tomorrow it could be our turn. You know, there's times where I've yelled at people in traffic for doing things that the next day I did. Anybody? You know, you don't know how to merge. Tomorrow, Rick doesn't know how to merge. I don't know how to merge. You know, so it's like I learned a long time ago, not, you know, when you have to correct somebody or you have to hit somebody with a cold, hard truth, do it in humility. Do it in love. But you and I need to learn to do it. Amen. There's too many of us that are too timid and too shy, and we get manipulated by people that the enemy sends to us, and they short-circuit our time and our energy. They hurt our emotions. They drain our energy, and that's not of God. So get the principle here. Tell the truth in love. When people, You know when people are trying to manipulate you, amen? How many people have just, you've been with somebody, and like two, two sentences in, you know they're, they're trying to get me to do something. Go and raise your hand. Amen. So when that happens, be bold in the Lord and tell the truth in love. They're not going to like it. They might accuse you of being mean. You know what? Usually that spirit behind that likes to, you know, it's kind of this controlling, manipulative spirit here. It's passive aggressive. And what they'll accuse you of is, oh, you're not very Christian. I told the truth about something the other day, and somebody said, that's not very Christ-like. And it was the truth, and you know what? I said to myself, you mean Christ-like when he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, dens of vipers, brutes? who told you to flee from the rest? Nice like Jesus when he flipped tables over and made a whip and whipped people and drove them out of the temple. Nice like Jesus? I wanted to send him a Bible. Here, I don't think you know Jesus. The Jesus that you know wouldn't tell you the truth because you're too weak and offended by it to face up to it. So I'm not very Christ-like, I suppose. But if that's the Christ that they've constructed in their minds, I don't want to succumb to that. So I'll tell the truth in love. Now, Jephthah tells the truth, then he brokers a deal with the elders. He's not going to let them push him around anymore. He's going to stand up. He's going to answer his call. He's going to serve the Lord, but he's not going to to bow to these, these bad players here. Judges 11, 9 through 11, shows the deal he brokered as you're following along with me tonight. And this is how it goes. He's telling them, I want this and I want that. If I do this, you got to do this for me. And these guys, they don't deny that what they did to him was wrong. They don't apologize for the way they treated him. I want you to catch this. And what they do is they actually offer him what should have been his by birthright as a reward. So hey, I'll tell you what, you know, if you risk your life for us and beat up all our enemies, we'll take the credit for it, but, you know, we're going to give you back, you know, an inheritance in your father's house and in Gilead. Well, isn't that nice? Isn't that just like the devil trying to, you know, control or manipulate us by giving us something that's either not his to give away or is ours to begin with? What did he say to Jesus? I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you bow down and worship me. Are you kidding me? You're talking the creator of everything, seen and unseen. You're going to give him the kingdoms of the world? Jesus didn't go, ah, let me get back to you. I'll talk to my financial advisor about that. No, Jesus is like, you know, hits him with the word. So understand, you know, some of the things at play here, how these guys, you know, they're they're thoroughly ungodly, and they're, they're offering him something that should have been his in the first place. You know, Jephthah, if he wins the battle, he gets restored. He gets to come back and be the leader of Gilead, so you know, there's something in it for him. But Jephthah shows great faith here by agreeing to do what God has called him to do because God called him to do it, not because these guys manipulated him into doing it. You know, he, he's not serving these guys. He's serving God. And that's where his faith kicks in. Amen. And he believes that if, if God is with me and he's called me, I will defeat these guys. And guess what? I'll be restored in Gilead. So he's looking for his restoration. He's looking to have what was stolen from him returned, but not by the hands of men, by the Lord. And I want you to see that that's where the faith is. When we need to be restored, when we need to receive what's been stolen from us, when we need you know, uh, to, to get back to what God has called us to do and to be, we should never look to man to effectuate that. We have got to look to God. Oh, this person can help me, or this pastor can help me. I've had people promise me all kinds of things that weren't even theirs to promise. Oh, I'll do this for you, and I'll do that for you, and I'll make you this and I'll give you a title. Come on, I know I'm young, it's oil of a lay, I look young, but I've been around the block. And some of you have too. And people promised you a lot of things, and guess what? It's God who restores. It's God who repays. Don't look to men. Look to God, and Jephthah did, and that was a good thing. Now, Jephthah, he's coming back. He's going to be their leader. He's got to organize the defenses. He's got to get the army going. Now, realize he's got this group of men with him who are battle-hardened. They're, they've been raiding and pillaging and doing all kinds of things, and obviously they were good at it because they had gotten notoriety in Israel. So he's got a little army built up already, but he comes back, and in Judges 11 Uh, 12 through 13 show the first thing that he does with his judgeship here is he comes back in the middle of conflict but he tries diplomacy so Jephthah's is now in charge and in verses 12 and 13 he he sends a message to the king of the people of ammon saying what do you have against me i like this guy he's direct he's no you know salutations great king and all this no he's like what do you have against me it's almost like if he wrote it today what's your problem?" I like this guy. He says, what do you have against me that you have come to fight against me and my land? The king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah. Now listen, because Israel took away my land. Doesn't it sound like two kids fighting in the sandbox? Israel took away my land. And when they came up out of Egypt from the Arnon as far as Jabbok and to Jordan, now therefore restore those lands peaceably. So here it is, he says, what's the problem here? Why are you making war against us? He's a warrior, but he tries diplomacy first. Now, that's another show of faith. Why? Because warriors usually don't go in the diplomatic role. They send diplomats for that, amen? If you want to broker a deal with another country, you don't send Delta Force and the Navy SEALs to broker a peace deal because once they get there, they'll take the place over. Okay, you send diplomats. But here, you say, what's your point here, Pastor Rick? There's a point. Here's the point. He's a warrior, but he's willing to be diplomatic. He's willing to lead in his weakness instead of his strength. But we got to get this. Why? Because you know what? Strength out of balance becomes weakness. If all we do is what we're strong at and we're never willing to do what's not in our wheelhouse, it's really hard for God to use us. Amen? Amen. Here's a guy, he's a warrior, but he's willing to be a diplomat. He's willing to lead in his his weakness and not go with his strength. And that shows humility, and that shows faith. Why? Because if he was just a meathead, he was like, let's just get this fight going here. But no, he's willing to give peace a chance because he knows the battle is the Lord's. He's not doing it by the arm of his own strength. So this is an interesting turn of events here that, you know, he, he tries the diplomacy, and we find out, you know, immediately that... The dispute is a land dispute. Now, this is, this is deep, man, because the, these land disputes that are being you know, fought over here are still happening today in the Middle East. Do you realize that? These land disputes, it all has to do with you know, Ishmael and Isaac. And Ishmael, this is mine. And Isaac, this is mine. And God said, it's not Ishmael, it's Isaac. I'm blessing Ishmael. And the Arabs and the Jews are still fighting over real estate. And it's a land dispute here And it's deep. And the Ammonites refused to accept that the God of Israel had granted that land to his people. And they still do. And it's a problem. Because when Israel went to take the land, there were people there already. And God told them to drive them out. But they didn't drive them all out. And the ones that stayed there got entrenched there. And these battles are still going on today. So it's a land dispute. And it's not easily settled. Jephthah tries diplomacy, but they come to an impasse, and there there is no diplomatic solution. So when we come to impasses in life, and we're going to come to impasses in life with other people, we're going to have conflict with other people. Remember what I said? In this world, you'll have trouble. When we have conflict with people, when we reach an impasse, we should always remember Romans 12, 17, and 18. It says this, Repay no one evil for evil. Did you hear that? Say yes. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So that's what God requires from us. What do you think about that? You're just looking at me tonight. No, pastor, ah, I'm going to give them, you know, they hit me, I'm going to hit them twice. They, they steal from me, I'm going to take them. To, listen, as much as it depends on us, we should live peaceably. That means we shouldn't be so thin skinned that we constantly are defending ourselves and fighting back. If we can avoid the conflict, if it's not a big deal, if we can just humble ourselves, fine. But they'd reached an impasse here, and there was no diplomatic solution, so it looks like war is about to happen. Now, Jephthah is marching off to war. He's about to face Ammon and the Ammonites, and he's probably a little nervous. This is a big campaign for him. He's in the driver's seat. In Judges 11:29 29 through 31, we see that Jephthah has a misstep, and he takes what is known as a tragic vow. He makes a vow to the Lord, uh, and he puts himself in a position that uh, you know a lot of bad comes out of it here. Now, in verse 29 of chapter 11, Jephthah is under the anointing of the Holy Spirit there. Do you see that? He's he's under the anointing. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Are you following along in your Bibles? You see that? Okay, so he's under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, and you would think, man, once you got the Holy Ghost on you, everything goes right. I mean, nothing can go wrong. But he's out there, and you know he's ready to do what God's called him to do. The Holy Spirit is on him, and everything is looking good in verse 29. But when verse 30 and 31 roll around, he, he makes a good situation bad. And what Jephthah does is he, he makes a vow to God. Now, granted, he's probably a little nervous. He's going into battle. So he wants some assurances from the Lord. That's not wrong. But he makes a vow to the Lord. And he says to the Lord, you know, if you deliver the Ammonites to me and you let me win, the first thing that comes out of my house, I'll sacrifice to you. When I return, the first thing that comes out. Now, he thinks you know, some, you know, rams are going to come out, the sheep are going to come out, the cows are going to come out, and he's going to bring it and give it as an offering to the Lord. So he makes this vow to the Lord. The first thing that runs to meet me when, you know, I come out of the house, if I'm victorious, I'll sacrifice to you. You know, and here in verses 32 through 33, that's all it talks about, the battle there. The battle is so quick and so decisive, it's not even close. He totally decimates the Ammonites. He beats the pants off them. They slaughter them. The children of Israel overcome their oppressors. Now he returns in verse 34 and 35, and the first thing that comes out of his house to meet him, that runs to meet him, is his daughter. Ouch. He's devastated. He tears his garments. He feels broken. He's elated that he's had this massive victory. It is the best day of his life, and it turns into the worst day of his life. His daughter runs out to meet him, and now he knows, I have to sacrifice my daughter. It's pretty serious, isn't it? You can bet your boots he was hoping you know anything else came out but his daughter. No, couldn't it be my mother-in-law? Couldn't couldn't it be that butler I can't say? No, a sheep, a goat, a cow. No, it's his precious daughter. And he makes his vow to the Lord, and now his daughter... Is very gracious and she accepts her fate and she tells her father, Do what you vowed to do, you know, whatever has to happen to me. The the child's faith is amazing, it's beautiful, her submission to her father. But, you know, it's the result of this foolish vow his celebration turns into mourning. She says, you know what, do whatever you have to do to me, but let me go and mourn for my virginity and all of these things that I'm losing uh, as, I, as I go into the mountains with my friends, and, and then you can carry out your vow. Now, there's much disagreement among scholars of whether this woman was just left unmarried all the days of her life, which some people suspect, or if he actually sacrificed her to the Lord. Now, the Lord doesn't ask for human sacrifices. Hebrew scholars themselves are divided on this, whether some say he actually did sacrifice her and it was an abomination to the Lord, but it was a sign of his reckless vow. Some said she was just, you know, stayed unmarried to the day of her death. The Bible doesn't tell us. So it's what theologians call an argument from silence. We have no answer. But it does bring up some very awkward situations. When you promise something to God, you have to keep your vow to the Lord, People break promises. Now, some of you are looking at me, and I almost can see what you're thinking. Uh-uh, I ain't doing that. God will just forgive me. See, Old Testament is a different way of thinking. You, you had to keep your vow. If you made, Covenant breakers were listed among the worst of people. You don't break a covenant with God. So, scholars, uh, Jewish scholars and Christian scholars don't know, you know, if he actually sacrificed her or if she was just banished and Stayed a virgin till the day she died. We're not sure, but there are three lessons we need to learn from this. Jephthah's foolish vow. God uses him mightily to judge. He wins a completely lopsided victory, but here's the three lessons. Number one, don't promise God things he never asked for. Oh, God, I'll do this. God will do that. I'll I'll be a missionary. I'll go go into the ministry. Did God ask you for that? God, I'll give 90% of my income. Did did he tell you to do that? Never promise God things he didn't ask for. If God asks you to do something and you make a vow, he'll give you the strength to keep it. But if he didn't ask, you're on your own. And he was on his own and he made a big mess. Number two, don't let emotional rash decisions back you into spiritual corners, When you're under stress, when you're under duress, when you're angry, when you're tired, don't make spiritual decisions. I see so many people make decisions when they're in the wrong state of mind. Look, most of us are crazy to begin with. Add some stress to that. Add some sleeplessness to that. Add some depression to that. Add some confusion to that. Oh, now's the time. I'm I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to sell. I'm going to move. I'm going to do that. Sometimes I just tell people, sit down, take a breath, stop, and get back to me in five days. If God's still saying the same thing, if you think that's God, you know, get back to me in a week. Pray about it, amen? Recklessness is dangerous. This guy made a reckless vow. Oh, but it sounded so spiritual. God, I will give to you the first thing. Sounded great, didn't it? Make a nice movie, right? Till his daughter came out the front door. So his emotionally reckless you know, words backed him into a spiritual corner. You see, not only did he have to keep his vow to the Lord, and God you know, expects us to keep the vows we make to him, but everybody in the public knew it too. What kind of integrity would he have if he just didn't keep his vow to the Lord as a man to lead Israel, and he has no integrity? He's a covenant breaker. See what he did? His words, his rash words, backed him into a spiritual and a social corner. And we got to be careful. Man, there's some things, once you post them on the internet, they're there. Three lessons. So the third one is this. Don't promise things God's even asked for. Don't let your words back you into spiritual corners. And three, don't make promises to anybody about things you have no control over. Don't make promises to anybody about things you don't have any control over. I'll always be there for you. You can't say that. You don't know if today's your last day. I'll always take care of you. I'll always pay this. I'll do that. You know, I'll give you this or I'll give you that. People make promises about things they have no control over. Why? It's emotionalism. Why? It's, you know, their heart wants to do it. And, you know, and so we promise our children things. We promise our spouses things. We promise our bosses things. And if we don't have control over it, look, I don't control when my last breath is. I don't control, you know, what I'm going to be able to do. I don't control a lot of things. So I've got to be careful about the promises that I make. You can make promises to children. My mom, told me about a promise that was made to her when she was a little girl and the person never kept it. And, and you know, she's a little past, uh, you know, her prime now. How old is mom, 305? or? Nine. But she still remembers. She still remembers it. And I could see when she told me the story that it was hurtful to her. They promised me to get me this, and they never did. See that? You know what, what it does to a child's heart? Be careful about making promises. I'll move on, the thunderous exception just So Jephthah, you know, he makes this foolish vow, and hopefully we can learn some things from him. You know, be careful with what you say. Be careful with what you promise. And, and just our mouths can get us in a lot of trouble. You say, how did this guy wind up in the hall of fame of faith? Well, thank God that, you know, God is bigger than our failures. Jephthah had a lot of missteps here, but he also had a lot of faith. We're going to cover that in the end. I want to just give you one last exploit. If you turn to Judges chapter 12, <clears throat> these last verses here cover what Jephthah did with the Ephraimites. See, not only did he have to deal with Israel's enemy, the Ammonites, but he had to deal with a tribe of his own people that were out of order. How many know that judgment begins with the house of God? If we're not willing to correct what's going on in our own house, We don't really have a platform to correct what's going on outside our house. So we got to take care of our own situation, and God does. God disciplines his children. God disciplined the tribes when they were out of order. And now Jephthah in Judges 12 deals with the Ephraimites. Now, the Ephraimites are these people who they don't show up for the battle. They show up when the battle's over and make like, hey, you know, why didn't you call us? And now they want some of the spoil and some of the glory and some of the this and some of that. You ever meet people like that? You know, they show up when the food's coming off the grill. They show up when the work's done. Hey, you need some help? They've been watching you all afternoon, digging, you know. Then, hey, you need some, you know, and these were the Ephraimites. They were the quintessential usurpers. And what they do is they come on the coattails of victory here, and they show up and they try to act like tough guys, and they even, you know, they push on Jept a little bit. Now, why do they do this? They want, the, they want the glory and the spoils of war, but they don't want the risks of battle. Hello? A lot of people like that. Oh, I want the money, I don't want to do the work. I, I, I want the fruit of the labor, but I, I don't want to do the job. And you see, there's a lot of people like that. Well, well I want money, but I want the money you've earned. You know, communism socialism is ungodly it replaces god the state replaces god you know what else is ungodly wanting money that you didn't earn it's a complete violation of the 10th commandment that says thou shalt not covet when you say i don't want to be i don't want to make money like you make money show me i want your money that's wrong and in our country we got a lot of people who want that these young people getting out of school they've been conditioned by the, the education system that everybody owes them, and we're all seeing it now. And guess what? It's a big problem when everybody's coming out with their hand out because there's nobody left working. Huh. I don't know if I'll get any traction on that, but you know what? I've learned to not care because God won't bless thieves, and he won't bless people who covet. I'll go to bed fat, dumb, and happy, at, and at peace every night, but the person who wants to steal and take from others and thinks that they, God will oppose them, so you and I, we need to be right with the Lord and have our hearts right. You know what? I don't want anything that anybody earned. You say, well, you got a lot? No, I don't. I, you know, my, I look sometimes at my bank account and I think, man, I, I shouldn't be a conservative. <laughs> I could use some, you know, I could use a little bit, right? It's a tough crowd on Wednesday night. But it's just my conviction and it's what I understand from the scripture that, you know, if, if you look at the word and it's about reaping and it's about sowing, and once I start being jealous and coveting and wanting with other people, why am I rich and why don't I have this? Man, it's just the wrong spirit. So here are these guys, and they, they are the quintessential you know, usurpers. They're coveting. They want the glory. They, they want the spoils, but they didn't want to take the risk in the battle, and God's not having it. I want you to see the way God deals with people like this who are coveters and usurpers and think that somebody owes them something. You know, What happens here, they did the same thing to Gideon. This isn't the first time the Ephraimites pulled this trick. They did it to Gideon, and Judges 8.1, listen to what they did. Now, this is with Gideon. Now, the men of Ephraim said, what have you done? This is by not calling us when you went to fight the Midianites, and they reprimanded him sharply. So the Ephraimites showed up with Gideon after the battle was over, and they pretended like they were ready to go. They, they're just kidding, okay? And, and Gideon tried to deal with them, and, you know, they've done this. So here they do it again. Look what they say to Jephthah in verse one of chapter twelve, we will burn your house down on you with fire. Whoa! Now all of a sudden they're tough guys. They're going to burn the house. Ha- they're going to kill the, the 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 you know the people of Gilead. They're going to kill Jephthah. What arrogance and hubris the Ephraimites had! That you know they they wouldn't. They wouldn't face Israel's enemies. They wouldn't face the Ammonites. They were too cowardly to stand up against the ungodly, but they threatened their own brothers. Think about that. They wouldn't fight the Ammonites. They were cowards. They wanted the glory. They wanted to act like you know, they didn't show up because they weren't called. Everybody in the land knew that the battle was put into array. So they won't fight Israel's enemies, but they're more than willing to threaten, to kill, to burn alive their countrymen, you know, their, their pride is inflamed. They are embarrassed by the fact that Gilead itself won this great victory. Now, you know, this attitude that the Ephraimites have, it reminds me of some things that go on in modern Christianity. There's a lot of Christian ministries. There's even entire denominations and Christian personalities that love to attack and tear down other believers that do things differently than them. And I mean, it's entire denominations that everybody, you know, who builds a church or saves souls or does evangelism, they're a false teacher. There's churches, there's denominations, you can go on websites, and they've listed names of all the false teachers. Meanwhile, they're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. There's no move of God in their church. Nobody's getting saved. They have no youth ministry. They have no outreach, but they have cornered the market on the right way to run the kingdom. This is one's a false. This is a false teacher. That's a false teacher. Maybe you don't know about this stuff. God bless you. But I'm telling you what's going on out there. And there's Christian Christians who act like Ephraimites. And they why do they attack these other ministries? Why do they try and tear them down? Because they're embarrassed by the fact that they're not doing anything for the kingdom and someone else is. So if someone else is doing it, then we got to attack it and tear it down and call it the devil. Oh, that's the devil. All that, oh, stuff. That's, that's the devil. Well, the devil's winning a lot of souls. Maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe you should examine your theology there. The religious hypocrites did the same thing to Jesus that the Ephraimites did. What did, they, what did they say? The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they said, he's a drunk. He's a friend of sinners. He eats with prostitutes and tax collectors. Did you hear them? He's possessed by a devil. That's what they said to Jesus. He's Prince by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Jesus said, "Knuckleheads." The new Italian version. He said, "A house divided against itself can't stand." If Satan casts out Satan, how will his kingdom stand? And the religious people said, "Uh." But think about that. Ephraimites—they attack Jesus. They 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 question him. Ephraimites—they attack every other ministry because theirs is not producing any fruit. Ephraimites—they attack Jephthah, and they say, "You know, we'll burn you alive." Oh, tough guys now. Now, these guys didn't think that their bluff was going to be called, but it was called. (coughs) And Jephthah goes to war against the Ephraimites. God's judge bringing judgment to the house of God, judging people within the kingdom. Think about that for a second. God's no respecter of persons. The Ephraimites, you know though not the premier tribe or the premier people or anything, you know, they, they, they have inflamed the wrath of God, and God uses uh, Jephthah as an instrument of judgment against them. Now, it was pride that was the undoing of the Ammonites. The Ammonites could have accepted what God said about the land and just left Israel alone, but their pride was inflamed, and they picked a fight they couldn't win. Pride was the undoing of the Ephraimites, they could have just sat home in their cowardice, in their shame, and just let Gilead have its moment, but no, their pride was inflamed. Pride brought judgment to the Ammonites, and pride brought judgment to the Ephraimites, and God used his judge, Jephthah, to bring both. Now, Jephthah judges Israel for six years and dies. It's a very, it's a very short reign, and, you know, the need for the warrior arose. God rose up a warrior And he takes him out of the mix just as quickly as he brought him in. He is buried, Jephthah, in Gilead with honor, so God restores him. Now you say, what? Out of everything we just talked about landed this guy in the Hall of Fame of Faith? I'm going to give you what I think here. Here's what landed Jephthah in the Hall of Fame of Faith. His humility to trust God to restore him and not men, number one. His humility as a warrior to be willing to use diplomacy when that was not his strength his willingness to tell uh, the truth and to stand for truth in the presence of wicked men, his willingness to pay the price for his own mistakes, and his refusal to dishonor the Lord because he made a foolish vow. God looked at all of these things and saw it as faith. Not a perfect guy, a guy who made a lot of mistakes, but yet a guy who answered the call of God in his life who had humility and a willingness to be truthful, and he did it in his trust of the Lord, and God restored him, and God restored Israel, and once again, God's people were back in right relationship with him. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, Jephthah is an interesting study, as many of the judges are. We see so many character flaws in the people that you've used, whether it's Samson or Moses or David, Jephthah, a lot of mistakes, a lot of missteps, a lot of heartache. And Father, I pray that we're not confused by this, and we understand that you use imperfect people to do your perfect will. That means every one of us are a candidate to be used. So, Father, while none of us are perfect and none of us make all the right choices, use us, Lord God, use us. Develop our faith and let us bring our faith to bear so that we can do kingdom exploits in our generation, so that we can bring deliverance to our churches and our people and our nation, so that we can bring the gospel to the world. Father, we can't do it in our own strength, but by faith, nothing is impossible. So God, raise us up and use us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him a hand clap of praise.